This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Why don't you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading from verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore and is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's been so much that has happened in this country in the last couple of weeks. And that tumultuous reality has really made an impression on me and has got me to a place where I've had a look at so many different things. I've tried to look at it from different perspectives. I've tried to review it and and get a, a... get to a place in myself where I understand that how do we as kingdom citizens embrace realities and move forward? And it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. The thing about it is what I fundamentally believe, and I think that that is something that is so important about us as living faith, is that we're firmly entrenched in lifestyle Christianity. Lifestyle Christianity. What does it mean? It means no matter what your reality is today, God intends to have influence on it. It means that what I fundamentally believe is not all about a God who's up there and is distant. It's not all about a God that I experience when I come into church. It's about a God who takes care in who I am and what I encounter every day and affects and influences that. I want to speak to you this morning on something that I've titled A Clash of Kingdom and Reality. A Clash of Kingdom and and reality. Everybody has a reality. Our reality is defined as a result of our interaction with the world. Our, inter- our reality is not as a result of an encounter that we've had. Our reality comes together as a result of a history of a life spent having different encounters, interactions with people, Influences, words, things that came into my life, that came into my very existence, that begin to form and mold who I am. And it gives definition to the reality that I live today. People's realities are different and they're not all the same. People's realities are are punctuated with poignancies. challenge we sometimes have is that we get to a place where we have an incident that happens like the George Floyd 
incident. And what it does is it heightens an aspect of not only my reality, but it elevates it in a society. And people have a look at something like that and people begin to voice their displeasure and their unhappiness in what it speaks of and what it represents. What it speaks to, speaking to so many people's realities, not just in that incident, but where they've come from and where they've been. And the challenge is that it's difficult to sustain that. Because after a period of time, what ends up happening is everything goes from boiling point back to the way that it used to be, and life seems to continue on the way that it used to be. And we sit and say, incident after incident, did anything meaningful change? What I want to speak to you about this morning is who you are and how God sees you. I want to have a look at, in your individual context, how God sees you as a person in the reality that defines your everyday existence. But I don't only want to speak about you as an individual. I also want to speak about how you and God intends to have influence and effect on your reality. The reason things go back to normal is because everybody goes back to their realities. Your reality is poignant for you and it's important for you, but your reality is not my reality. I come out of a space and I sit and say, I don't like racism in the country and I don't think that it's right and I don't like the way that it presents itself in any space. I'm voicing my disapproval of that and I'm opposed to everything that it represents. And I'll stand for that. But there comes a time in my life where I'm faced with the reality that, you know what? I've been brought up in an environment where I'm struggling to make ends meet. I don't know where my mortgage payment is going to come from. I don't know where the rent is going to come from and whether I'm going to have enough money at the end of the month to be able to eat. And so I appreciate your reality, but I'm trying to survive in my own. I'm a woman in a place who sits and says, you know what? I don't agree with anything that's going on right now, but I go home to an abusive husband. And I know what it is to face verbal abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse. And I don't approve of anything that's going on there, but I'm trying to survive in my reality. We have sex trafficking. We have people involved in addictions with drug and alcohol. We have people who come from children who've been abused sexually in the way that they've grown up. This is not an incident. This is an ongoing reality that's given definition to what becomes the construct of my life. And in the construct of who I am, I'm trying to sit and say, where is God? I'm trying to get an understanding as to where he is in the context of who I am and I want to know how I move forward with this because I don't want to live in the current reality. I want to change who it is. I want to experience what he has for me. He offers us two things. He says, I'm going to give you a foundation and I'm going to give you salvation. Build your house on the rock. When he speaks about building your house on the rock, what he's saying is, understand this, the storm is coming. I'm not guaranteeing you because you're part of the kingdom that the storm's not coming. And the reality of it is, some people live a long life full of storms. I have a great aunt who's lost, is it two or three husbands and two kids? Young, died at young ages. Her life has been characterized by storms. People have different storms in life. What I'm telling you is this. Jesus is saying, build your house on the rock because the storms are coming. 
But when the storms of life come, you've got to be at a stage where I'm okay. I'm established. I'm solid. I can hold on to the stuff because you know what? My life is built on the greater one. He puts us at a place where he sits and says, yes, you can weather the storm, but I want you to know something. It's not only about weathering the storm. I'm here. It is your salvation. I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way that you're going to get out of the storm, the only way that you're going to take who you are and move yourself to a place where you're going to experience everything that I have for you is through me. It's about building your life on the rock, and it's about experiencing him as, as your savior. Our realities can be cruel. We live in a world full of differences. And unfortunately, as long as there are differences, people are going to be open to abuse. I don't like you because of the color of your skin. I take advantage of you because I'm a misogynist. I have something to say because you're a heavy person. I don't like you because you're dorky and I make fun of you because you're not athletic. It's not right. But how does we survive in a world that's characterized by so much cruelty? How do we get to a place where we experience what God has for us in a world where we encounter the realities of what it is to be on the receiving end of this stuff? And when we live in that reality for a period of time and we have an incident that inflames not only my current Reality, but a history of where I come from, I begin to realize and I enter into a, a place that I've called a crisis of convergence. A crisis of convergence. Every part of me, the things that are most important to me, seem to collide simultaneously. My emotions and my feelings and my thoughts and my experience and my everything comes together. And it's in this whole morass that I have to sit and I have to have a look at it. And I have to sit and say, how do I get a sense of solid understanding? How do I have some objectivity so I'm able to define between the elements? How do I get myself to a place where I feel as though I'm moving in the right direction with my life? How do I handle all of these conflicting emotions of pain and anger? I have a conflict of convergence because I realize the present and what I'm experiencing is not just about this. It's about a history that speaks to so much of it. It may be abuse. It may be physical. It may be verbal. It may be financial. It may be in addictions. It might be whatever it might be. But everything from my past comes together in that moment and begins to have an undue expression in the present. What about my history? What about my experiences? And to what degree do they define my current reality? And it thrusts me into a place where I sit and say, I'm trying to balance and I'm trying to make sense of my humanity and my kingdom citizenship. How do I get to a place where I'm able to reconcile that I am a living human feeling being, but I'm a spiritual entity? And how do I bring those components together in a meaningful way so that I can define my future and what it looks like. To me, this is much of what the last two weeks has meant. Nothing catches God off by surprise. 
the responsibility for me is to sit and say, God, I got to find you. I might be surprised. I might be disheartened. I might be disillusioned. I might be at a place where I'm struggling in myself. Might be at a place where I'm trying to reconcile everything that's on the inside of me. But if I can find you, you'll put me, point me in the right direction. You will put me on solid ground and you will move me to where it is that you want me to be. The challenge that we have is you don't understand. You don't understand. never walked in my shoes. You don't really understand what it's like to have a child that commits suicide. I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to grow up and be bullied because you don't look like everybody else. You don't sound like everybody else. You don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes, come from a different culture and a different place, where you feel estranged and unwelcome. You don't understand. I hear what you're saying, but you don't understand. I'm here to tell you today That in my position, and I can just speak for myself because otherwise I'm in trouble when I generalize. I do my best to understand people. I do what I do because I truly have a heart for people. And I try to understand. More than understanding, I try to connect with people at an emotional level. Can I at least move to the place where I show some love and compassion for who you are? Why? Because I can understand your circumstances, but it's not your circumstances that touch your life. It's the emotions that go with it that go deep. It's not the situations. It's all the other stuff that comes in and does the scarring. And so it's all very well for you to understand my reality. But unless you can empathize with where I am, you don't understand the hurt and the pain. And you don't understand the scarring that goes with it. So you can speak to what you see, but you can't speak to the reality that's alive on the inside. What I'm here to tell you is, you're right. You're right. But what I can offer you is this. I can offer you the one who can empathize with you. What I can offer you is the one who sticks closer than a brother. What I can offer you is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What I can offer you is the one who says, every situation, every encounter, every bad incident, every negative word, every hurtful thing that happened to you, I was there. I didn't only see it. I didn't only experience it, but I could feel it in myself and I knew what that was like. He is the one who can do some stuff in your life and in your situations that I'm not capable of doing. He can touch you in places and bring about healing and transformation that I cannot do. Why? Because when he comes into your world, he comes in as truth wrapped in empathy. I love you. I feel where you've been. I understand it. I know the hurt and I know the pain. But I want you to know something. 
I love you too much to leave you where you are. And because I love you, I brought with me something called truth. And the truth is going to set you free. The truth is going to take you out of your pain and bring you to a place where I know what it is to be here for him to be my shield. I'm going to take you from a place where I can take your brokenness and I can make you whole and complete. I'm the one who's going to do something in who you are that's going to take you out of the reality that's defined who you are and bring you to a place where you are solid and you are established. And when I get you to that place, I'm going to equip you for influence. I'm not here to tell you or in any way take away from your reality. I'm not here in any way to try and detract from the significance of what defines your reality. But what I am here to do is to tell you that the greater one can do things that seem impossible. I'm here to tell you today that the one who never leaves you nor forsakes forsake you is more than enough. The one who can come into your life and give you beauty for ashes is the one who's going to do something in your life. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can do that. He says to us, if God be for me, who can be against me? What he's doing is he's talking to you. He's talking and delivering truth in the context of my reality. What is he doing? He's trying to touch your perception of where you are. And he's trying to get you to a place where you start to tilt your reality a little bit. Because I start to recognize the fact that if the greater one is with me, what does it mean about who I am? What does it mean about where I find myself? What does it mean about the situation and the circumstances around me? The greater one is with me. He's sitting saying to you, despite it all, despite it all, you are more than a conqueror. I know your situation. I know your reality. You're not the first one to face it. You won't be the last one. But what he's saying is despite everything that constitutes your reality right now, you are more than a conqueror. What is the invitation that is extending to you? He's sitting saying, the reason that Jesus died, the reason that Christ rose was to elevate you and take you to a place and to a position of victory in yourself, in the circumstances and situations. And as a victorious person, to move to a place where I'm able to have influence in society and influence in my reality. He wants you to know something. As a victor, it's important to always keep in the forefront of our thoughts the realization that life and your experiences and your reality are going to conspire to steal the crown of victory from you. They're going to conspire to steal that crown from you. And any time we step outside of the kingdom and we try and deal with our reality outside of the kingdom, we put ourselves in a compromised position because they've just won. 
Your authority and your victory is not outside of the kingdom. It's getting into the kingdom and dealing with your reality from the kingdom. That's where your authority is. Christians make that mistake all the time. The seduction to get into my reality, to be sucked in by my emotions and what's happening. And so what I do is I move into that arena. And the minute the devil's got you in there, he's got you whipped. Why? Because I just walked out of victory and I've just walked out of overcoming and I've just walked out of my authority and I've stepped onto his playing field. I've stepped onto his playing field. If we lose sight... Let me get to that in a minute. God never designed to leave us where we are. He has a plan for us to move us forward. The most important thing that he wants us to know is don't lose sight of your kingdom citizenship. As a kingdom citizen, before you're an American, you're a kingdom citizen. Before you're a man or a woman, you're a kingdom citizen. Before you're somebody defined by your color, you're a kingdom citizen. Before you're someone who is a product of your culture, you're a kingdom citizen. Anytime I step outside of that, I move outside of God's arena and I put myself in a compromised place. What does he say? You are a new creation in Christ. As a new creation, you're not the person you used to be. As a new creation in Christ, the calling and the invitation is to view your life differently, to view your situations differently, to understand that you're equipped to handle life from a different perspective. I shouldn't be acting like the world and living like the world because the call to me is to be a kingdom citizen. I'm a new creation in Christ. What does that mean in the context of my reality? Anytime I lose sight of my identity, I become blind to my influence. Anytime I lose sight of my identity, I become blind to my influence. God is going to work through you. The whole point about Jesus rising from the dead The whole point of a a resurrection Christ is to make what's real to us, Christ in us. Christ in you. The answer is in you. It's not going to come from out there. It's going to come from inside of who you are. It's going to be about redefining me as an individual. We're going somewhere. Stick with me. I know you're waiting for the great reveal, and it's coming, I promise. I've got to set the playing field. I've got to set the playing field so that you understand why I'm going to get to where I'm going to get to. Here is a shock. Jesus never came to fix a broken world. He came to introduce the kingdom. 
Jesus never came to fix a broken world. He came to introduce the kingdom. It has significance and it has relevance for us today. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus, when he came in, sat and said, you know what the problem with it is? The world system is not of my nature. It's the nature of sin and death. It's like, I can't remedy that. I can't fix sin and death. I can't change sin and death. I can't improve sin and death. So that's why he came to introduce the kingdom, which is light and life. What he was saying was, anything that exists in sin and death is going to give evidence to its nature. Here is the sad reality. We will always live with racism in this country. We will always live with people who are cruel and nasty. We will always live with people who have ugly things to say. We will always live with people who are murderous and nasty. Why? Because we have a society and a world that is defined by the kingdom of sin and death. And all they're doing is giving expression to their nature. They're giving expression to their nature. Jesus said, I can't fix it. I'll tell you what I'll do though, is I'll die for you so that you can take sin and death and you can move sin and death into life and light. Anytime we see something in sin and death, the opportunity is to move it into light and life because he's all about a pre and a post. That's who God is. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was a sinner, but I'm now saved by grace. I once was a person who was full of hatred and anger and discontent. And God moved me to a place where he changed me and he made me a person full of joy and peace. And what happened? I let go of who I was and I moved through what Christ made available to me and I'd moved it into kingdom. Anytime we move something into kingdom, life happens. The challenge that we have is as natural people, as, as, as spiritual people, God wants to bring to the forefront our reality of exactly the same truth. What he's saying to us is this. You can't change people's behavior. You have to change their heart. You can do whatever you want to change behavior. The problem with it is it's just a product of the heart. And if you don't change the heart, you can manage that. You can try and wrap it up nicely. You can present it so that it smells really good. The fact of the matter is, at some point, it comes out. Why? I can't help it. It's who I am. I can't help it. It's who I am. Have a look at Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read it out of the Passion. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Evil originates from inside a person. Evil originates from inside a person. Coming out of a human heart are evil schemes, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. All these corrupt things emerge from within and constantly pollute a person constantly pollute a person. You are dealing with pollution. What God wants us to do is this, to recognize and get established in the truth that we're in the world, we're not of the world. He's drawing a distinction between us and he's sitting saying, I know the reality that's out there. Because you know what? It's all about sin and death. And sin and death is manifesting itself in some rather ugly ways. 
What he's saying is the opportunity to bring about change for yourself and for your world is to introduce it to the kingdom. That's why Christ is the answer. Because the only way that you can introduce something to the kingdom is through Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no alternative. If you want an alternative, the alternative is go and try and fix a broken world. The answers that we're looking for are in the kingdom. Let me give you another example that will hit home and will maybe reinforce this. I got the date wrong when I spoke about this, so I'll try and correct it. But it was a number of, actually it was, I think, in February. The, The date's not important. The point is, there was a period of time where there was a father and a son who went out and for some unknown reason felt quite comfortable shooting a young black man. And you sit and think, what is in his heart? What is in your heart that you could do that? I have two sons. I could never imagine getting together with either of my sons and saying, let's go and hurt someone, let alone kill them. I can't relate to that. I want you to get that picture for a reason. Because what I want to show you is this. That is an expression of racism. Okay? Now, this is why Jesus says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is why Jesus says the weapons of your warfare are not carnal. Because anytime you adopt and you go back to carnal solutions, you're going back to try and fix the world. What he's saying is, your opportunity is not to fix the world. Your opportunity is introduce it to the kingdom. The problem with it is this. We want to do things like, let's put laws in place. Now, I'm a big proponent of laws. I think it's a healthy thing because laws keep, uh, keep society the way that it should be and it allows certain things and it d- discourages other things. I get the value of laws. But it doesn't change a person's heart. Well, let's just introduce a politically correct culture. So what we'll do is we'll shame people who say anything that's offensive to somebody else. We're motivated. And so what ends up happening is everybody goes out in public forums and they're all very well behaved until they come home that evening to the dinner table. And then they have a lot to say about everything. It doesn't change a person's heart. Just sit tight with this one, okay? Because if you think about it, I believe it's true. We want to have discussion and let's just share thoughts so it builds understanding. The problem with it is this. I see the value of that. And honestly, I think it's been valuable for me as a person to have interaction and discussions with people. I see that. The challenge with it is this. It doesn't change hearts. Are you telling me that you, if you were to have a discussion with that father and son, they would go, I've suddenly seen the light and I'm new. My challenge with it is this. I think what it does is it helps unify people who are in the same boat. But people that we're trying to convert and have influence over, it does have very little influence. What is the point? The point is don't fall into the same trap as Adam. What did Adam do? Adam said, God, I don't need you anymore. I can go and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I can make stuff happen. I can reach my goals and aspirations when I do it outside of you. Sometimes as Christians, 
We are well motivated and we want to do stuff. But what we do is we go and we adopt the ways of the world to try and change the world. But it doesn't change their heart. And then we become disillusioned and disappointed. Because you know what? We have a George Floyd. And a couple of years later, we can have something else. And then a little while later, we'll have it. And before you know it, it's going to be 20 years and 30 years and 50 years. And everybody's sitting saying, when is it going to change? People ask that question now. When is it going to change? But I'm going somewhere with this. Because I think it's important to be heard. But it's more meaningful to do. It's important to be heard as the body of Christ. But it's more meaningful to do something. And so we take it into the context of my own life. What am I doing? You see, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. If I understand that the commission before me is to bring heaven to earth, if I understand that the objective is to change people's hearts, what it does is it puts me in a place where I start to identify what my role and what my purpose is every single day when I go up, when I meet with people in my family, when I meet with friends, when I meet with relatives, when I meet with people at work, there are going to be opportunities where I sit and say, Holy Spirit, listen to me. I can't change people. I'm well motivated. I want to do something. But show me what I can do today. Show me how I can partner with you because you're the only one who can do something of significance in somebody's life. Use me, position me to be able to seed somebody's life with something so that you can take that and you can begin to work on that. Let me do my role and my responsibility in that. The challenge with it sometimes is we look at it in isolation and we say, I look at my life and it's so small. In the context of, the, of America or the globe, look at the limited number of people that I can reach. But maybe it's because our perception is too limited. You see, Jesus interact with the body. You are part of the body. Part of what this whole thing has done for me is being a little bit of an indictment against the body because the body is the solution and the body is in every town. The body is in every school. The body is in all kinds of places all over the place and if the body was to get activated and the body was to stand up and assume their responsibility, if the body was to move to a place where they recognized I'm here to have influence and yes there are so much that I can do and it may be limited in and of myself but if I get everybody doing the same thing, what would America look like? What would America look like? Shortly after Jesus had risen, he called 120 people, 120 people to an upper room. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it changed who they were. People persecuted them for who they were. People made fun of them. People mocked them. They were alienated and despised because of what they represented. But do you know what happened? 
30 years later, Paul and Silas are going to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And do you know what they said? Those who have turned the world upside down are coming here also. 120 people over 30 years turned the world upside down. And it was recognized. What would happen if the body got activated? What would happen if the body in America stood up and said, you know what, we're here for transformation and change. And you know what, it's not what I can do. It's not by my hand. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by your spirit, Father. Show me how me, you and I can partner together so your spirit can do some stuff. What would happen in 30 years in America? What would they be saying at that point? That's the challenge. In moments of crisis, opportunity always lies buried. Opportunity always lies buried. We are called to be light and salt. And the light shines brightest when the world is darkest. The light shines brightest when the world is darkest. This is a personal note. I have been disappointed. You want to know why the world isn't changing? Because I listen to so many Christian leaders on television. And you know what? They sound like the world. I understand you talking about people's realities. That's an important thing to do. We want people to know that we understand. I understand you talking about how change needs to come. That's important. Absolutely valid. Everybody's going to endorse that. The problem with it is I don't hear enough about the fact that the Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to bring about meaningful change. What I don't hear from enough Christian leaders is sitting saying the body of Christ needs to stand up and get motivated. The body of Christ needs to recognize that they are the answer because they carry the solution. And rather than just sitting there talking like the world and indulging like the world and sitting talking about the realities, which I don't have a problem with, as long as at the end it's punctuated by the solution, which is Christ. It's not your social program. I appreciate that. You need to have that. But that comes after spirit. It comes after spirit. Otherwise, what do we do? I behave like Adam. I'm doing a whole bunch of good stuff. You know what that's called? Religion. Religion. I'm doing some really good stuff, but it's not changing hearts. That is not what the body was called to. The body was called to be a rightful expression of who Christ is and to evidence it through my life. To be dependent on the Holy Spirit to work in and through me and to position me in places of influence. There is an opportunity in this world right at the moment because more and more the issues are coming to the fore. And the problem with it is everything that's being proposed as a solution isn't working. So what ends up happening is everybody plays the blame game. Everything else is responsible for stuff. It's not going to fix it. 
It's an opportunity here for the body of Christ to stand up. The opportunity as you, as a local body, is to recognize, you know what? The things that I might be able to do in my own capacity are quite limited. But if everybody at Living Faith went out and did something this week, what would it do to our local society? What would it do to our community? There is power and influence when we recognize our place as part of the body of Christ. Jesus came to seek and save. To seek and save. He wants us grounded and rooted in the reality that we are a new creation in Christ. And in that place, the invitation he always extends to us is don't let the hurts and the pains of the reality that you face define who you are. Bring it to me because the opportunity is for me to take that and to introduce you to your true identity as a kingdom citizen. When we get established in that, he empowers us and he wants us to recognize our position in the body of Christ to sit and say, I have a job to do. I have a responsibility, not only to myself, but I have a responsibility to the community and the world in which I find myself. I'm carrying within me a solution that people are looking for and they don't know where to find it. I've got to let it out. I've got to let it out. Father, I want to thank you that you are the great God. I thank you that you're the one who loves and cares. I thank you for your empathy. I thank you that everything that we've been through, everything we've experienced, all the hurts, all the pains, I want to thank you that you've been there. If there's ever anyone who can empathize and relate to the reality I called my life, it's you. I thank you that you carry with you the answer. And I want to thank you that you're empowering us and have empowered us with the Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as kingdom citizens, we become charged and aware of the fact that as we move into the next week, the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Let us connect with who you are. And in all our interactions with people, let us look for opportunities, Holy Spirit, to take the things of the kingdom and to seed lives and circumstances that bring the kingdom into manifestation. We thank you for kingdom life. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid so that we can step out of sin and brokenness into light and life. We bless you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.